0: Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Plain Talking UK podcast. It's episode 490. I'm Nev and it's great to see everybody again this week. Uh, got a few changes of personnel this week as well, we'll talk about that shortly. But uh, in this week's show we take a look at some of the footage that we shot at the RAF Cosford Air Show last week with Carlos. And uh, here's another question for you. How many passenger 747s are still flying? We'll talking about that a bit later on in the show. And Ryanair bans Brits from taking duty-free booze on popular flights. Uh, In the military, we talk tilt rotors, Uh, the RAF retires its C-130s and a massive exercise kicks off in Europe. Uh, Joining me this week are our good friend Matt in the PTUK studio, or the PTUK studio oven, I think should really be saying yes I?
1: absolutely very much an oven here we are enjoying what something that we're not very used to here in the uk uh and that's uh, decent weather so uh we're making full use of it as i say and it, the the studio is currently uh yes the the pt uk oven i'm, do, I'm cooking some ba- i'm baking some cookies while i'm here oh so nice <laughs> yeah absolutely my
0: uh some of my work colleagues are over in orlando at the moment for the uh, oh, wow the big event uh the infocom show over there and of course orlando this time of year is extra. Extremely hot and sweaty, and just oh, yeah! (laughs) Um, Oh dear! uh, Oh dear! So we haven't got Carlos this week, um, due to what should we say operational difficulties.
1: We do have Um, a little message from him. Shall we? Shall we share that with everyone? Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Let's.
2: Hello, PTUK. Awesome viewers, sorry I can't be with you guys on the show tonight. I am uh, trucking as uh, I always seem to be doing these days, so yeah, I can't be with you on the show tonight. But uh, have a great show, and I know you've got some great stories lined up. Uh, So enjoy yourselves and hello to all the chat room. Look after the boys, and uh, I'll see you in a few weeks' time when I'm back. Take care, everyone.
1: Well, well, there we go. Thank, you, thank you, Carlos. So he's uh, busy trucking on the road, as you can probably see. Uh, it's uh, yeah, done and dusted. Yes, apologies, I forgot to send the audio back to you, Nev. But uh, basically, he send, he's sending in his apologies.
0: <laughs> well, wow. So what do we do when uh, when Carlos isn't on the show? Who, who could we find that could help us with uh, aviation knowledge? Um, well, clearly we've had to scrape the bottom of the barrel again.
3: <laughs>
1: wow. Okay. There's no way to talk and, about uh, Nick. That's a bit rude. So- <laughs> However,
0: this, this fine gentleman has agreed at very short notice to join us on the show once again. And it's Captain Jeff.
3: Hello, Jeff. Do I have to do this?
1: no you absolutely don't please you've, you've literally just finished work bless you so thank you for joining us
3: no I'm, I'm happy I'm happy to be here with my good friends and you guys too lovely thank you very much yeah cheers for that
1: appreciate that it's uh, yeah you, so you've literally just finished work Jeff yeah
3: yeah I just did a quick uh, flight from Atlanta to Asheville North Carolina in the uh, in the mountains and back and uh, so just a half day's work it was uh nice and easy easy makes a change eh <laughs> and nice weather yes. yeah
1: absolutely yes i must admit uh lots of chats that we've been having with our armando this week and he's been basically dodging what i can only describe as horrendous storms and stuff sort of in in the sort of charlotte area um, mm-hmm. yeah just it's it's, it's uh, you do weather very well there don't you you're very good at weather <laughs>
3: You have to be, you really do, uh, and uh, this season's weather is a little bit different than most because of the, uh, is it the El Nino or El Niña? I don't know, I can't tell, the. Or it's either the El Nino or the other one, but uh, uh, warm water temperatures over the Pacific are changing the patterns of the jet stream, and uh, it's just uh, highly unusual to have this kind of weather in June, really.
0: Wow,
1: wow, indeed.
3: And uh, we're
0: also joined by our very good friend and colleague that uh, joined us up at RAF Cosford last week for the air show, which was extremely warm, I have to say. <laughs> it's Nick Codling. Hello, Nick.
4: Hi there, Nev. How are you doing? It's yeah, uh, good, fine, good, to be, good to be back on. And uh, yeah, safely returned from, uh, from a fantastic day at Cosford. And uh, the sunburn is just about uh, recovered now.
1: Very yes, right. I must say, Nev, you're looking you're looking particularly radiant this evening. I think. Yes, <laughs>
0: I, I, unfortunately, uh, makeup hasn't arrived yet. Right,
1: glowing, <laughs> glowing is the word. Absolutely. I have to wait for them. Now, now, Nick, I know you had a great time, obviously, at Cosford, but it wasn't exactly the most straightforward journey home for you. It turned out in the
4: end. Sadly, it wasn't. No, I mean my my trusty Mercedes, which I do love, and I've had for nine years now. Um, it's never ever let me down, and unfortunately. On about halfway home, my alternator decided that it didn't want to work anymore. So, uh, so yes, I ended up having a little trip to Gloucester Services and through a sort of failure of one of our UK recovery services, I ended up leaving the car there and going home by train. As you do um, and finally got home just after midnight on sunday so yeah it was and, and did the trains day. and did the trains behave themselves as well mostly one oh. of them was a little bit late but <laughs> oh. i i did i did get to where i needed to go which was wow. home uh finally so <laughs> okay. yeah it was a bit of a long day
1: lovely but, uh, well done it was a
4: great it was a great show though and it was it was it was Kind of worth the upheaval because we we saw some absolutely spectacular flying so yeah it was Indeed, a, a great yes. day out
1: and we've got a little bit of a teaser i think nev of 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 what's to look forward to coming up later
0: yes we have yeah um and uh so before we do the commercial let's have a look at who's in the chat room tonight um oscar is in there captain cruz uh, mazuz is in there as well uh liz piper don't know if you've heard of her before, Jeff. That, yeah,
3: that name rings a bell. She's there the making rings. Liz, I thought you were in my ear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but
0: I think <laughs> she's just making sure she gets her um, her 10%. Well, of course. or oh. well, whatever the fee
1: is these days. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, there's a fee? What? Yeah. <laughs> Bill's in Percent? there. Percent. Lee Davis, Hobby <laughs>
0: Time, Alan White, uh, Jenny Parkinson's even there, there as well. Captain Ridiculous Wits is in there as well. John Falk's there. Um, and Dirk S. also. So thank you very much to everyone for joining. Really appreciate your contributions. And, of course, this week we've got the results of our competition uh, for the book, which is a Concorde book written by Mike Bannister, Chief Concorde Pilot. We'll be giving that away uh, later on. Um, And then we were setting a a new competition question as well. So I've got another book to give away Mm -hmm. later. So if everybody's ready to go, let's do the commercial let's go the
3: captain has turned on the seatbelt light please take your seat some fasten your seatbelts <laughs>
0: Well, the first story is on the aviation24.be website. And uh, clearly Liz Piper has got her calculator out again because it says that Russian Antonov 124 cargo plane has been seized by the Canadian government at Toronto Pearson Airport. Uh, the government has seized this uh, Russian cargo aircraft at Pearson and the plane has been grounded at the airport since February 2022 and is believed to be owned by a subsidiary of Volga, uh, Volga Dnieper Airport. Airlines LLC and Volga Dnipra group. Uh, Canada recently imposed sanctions against these entities due to their involvement in the war against Ukraine. The seizure of the plane is part of Canada's plan to pressure Russia to end its aggression by targeting its economy and limiting access to resources that support the war. Uh, this is the first physical asset seized by Canada under this regime and the second seizure under the Special Economic Measures Act. If the aircraft is forfeited to the Crown, Canada intends to work with the Ukrainian government to redistribute it for compensation, human rights support, international peace and security, or the rebuilding of Ukraine. Uh, Canadian officials have stated that the seizure sends a clear message to Russia about the consequences of its actions, and that Canada stands with Ukraine in its fight for freedom. Gosh. But, uh, that's some asset to seize isn't it it is I mean no it's,
1: it, it's, it's an Antonov isn't it at the, end, at the end of the day so it's a big old plane um, I well, mean- it's
0: been on the deck since February of last year that mm. means it's been nearly 18 months that it's been stationary so in terms of operational capability they'll need to do a bit of work on it to, to get it airborne or mm. uh scrap it for parts by from, from what they're saying um
1: yeah i i mean i, I don't i mean it's obviously it's a you know a, a, a bold move obviously to to do such things i mean i i assume i don't know i'm sort of trying to sort of think um as you say sort of february last year i mean we were very much you know it was all very much happening then. it seems like an unusual decision if you like to to test the waters i don't know if this was a i don't know a test case or an experiment maybe to see what sort of reaction they were going to receive
0: What is it they say that possession is nine tenths of the law and um (laughs) i think they've they've ticked that box that's for certain indeed
1: I mean, they're amazing planes, these Antonovs, aren't they? I mean, obviously, yeah. it was devastating that that big one that uh, that was uh, essentially turned into kindling, wasn't it, by the yeah. the fire in oh, the hangar there, the biggest one. I mean, um, but uh, yeah, well, um, <laughs> I'm sure somebody somewhere knows what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so well,
0: this is not this this happens reasonably regularly doesn't it as well when mm. there's arguments about uh funds that have not been paid for mm. at airports and this sort of thing and, and in the worst case scenario then they they'll they can seize an aircraft but obviously this is a slightly different circumstance yeah
1: indeed i you know it's uh you know what whilst personally, as i say speaking personally um it's a, it's a move i sort of Agree with obviously because of what's going on and that you know I've got sort of friends who are who are caught up in it so uh, you know very sort of conscious of uh, of uh, you know doing whatever you can to try and do it but you know is this realistically going to have any impact on on bringing it to a close probably not but
0: um, yeah Jeff we uh, got any opinion about uh, about this at all
3: do I
1: <laughs> you can well, say no by the way if you'd rather mm. not
3: <laughs> well. No, I really don't. Mm. It's a Sorry. funny one, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I know exactly what you mean as I say it's like you're sort of um you know sort of happy to watch this one from afar I think really and just sort of see how it plays out um from my perspective. But, you know, I there are you know there's um arguments both sides of the the water aren't there I guess. Um I don't um yeah, it's uh, I don't I absolutely don't agree with what's going on. Um but um yes it probably shouldn't have been given clearance to land unless there was an emergency visa i mean i don't know i don't know i don't know it's a funny old one isn't it
0: now uh aussie story two is always a or nearly always a ryanair story mm. and uh, no exception this time because uh we've got some uh, alcohol problems oh. with those naughty brits again I,
1: I mean i'm i'm sort of sort of a quarter of the way through my bottle of wine i mean i think that's a bit strong nev if i'm honest but uh. well. <laughs> Uh, taking a look at the sun uh, for this one, which is obviously where we go for all of our aviation stories. Botlet, Ryanair bans Brits from taking duty-free booze on popular flights. Uh, so, uh, reading the story, passengers travelling from the UK to Ibiza must have their duty-free bags tagged and put in the hold. Anyone who is caught trying to sneak it into the cabin could be kicked off the flight with no refunds, Mixmag has reported. the uh, An email sent to passengers says... Alcohol purchased in airport shops or elsewhere must be packed carefully in a suitable item of cabin baggage, which will be tagged at the gate and then placed in the aircraft hold free of charge. So, anyone who opts for a bottle of wine or vodka while shopping at the airport will have to check it in and collect it after the flight lands. Sun Online Travel has contacted Ryanair for comment. Uh, it isn't clear if any other routes are effective other than the UK to Ibiza route. Last year, the makers were left terrified as dozens of rowdy passengers partied in the aisles of a Ryanair plane which was travelling from Edinburgh to Ibiza. A couple told of their horrible ordeal as the drunken travellers drowned booze, uh, downed booze, I should say, from uh, duty free while shouting and dancing during the three hour flight to the Balearic Party Island. The chaotic footage showed uh, passengers drinking from a bottle of Grey Goose vodka, while another held a large portable speaker overhead as they blasted dance tunes and parties in the aisles. Uh, I mean, uh, the story goes on. I-, I won't go into that. I mean, I don't... Sounds like my kind of people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> party central. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I I don't understand... I... I, I, I think people have been buying it and then drinking it on on the plane haven't they I think this is clearly what the problem is but I mean we know from stories that um, Jeff I dare say with your illustrious career I'm sure you've had um, you know many a, a, a negative experience as a result of shall we say a passenger not knowing their limits uh, in terms of being on, on an aircraft.
3: You know, honestly, I have been been very blessed when it comes to not encountering uh, any of those kind of events on any of my flights through my almost 35-year career. Um, But I do hear, but I don't have a lot of Brits traveling (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, and, true, and true, flight, yeah, so yeah that's right. Probably why.
1: That's probably why we do we do like a beer or twelve, don't we? <laughs> uh, Nev, sorry, you
0: were saying. I'll just say perhaps uh, British uh, passengers don't travel on Jeff's
3: aircraft. This is, exactly. Well, well quite. we're thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah. indeed. I mean, I, the thing is, is like I suppose if I was buying Duty Free, it would usually be. Um, in you know let's use this as an example so it would be if i was doing it i would be buying duty-free with a view to bringing it home and drinking it rather than going the other way if you see what i mean so you know i can i can absolutely see why um, and again, it's the same, isn't it? It's like the minority spoiling it for the majority as per usual in the fact that there were probably a handful of people who were sort of doing it and they'd been absolutely fine. And you've got people who are taking the mickey, aren't they, where they're buying a whole bottle of vodka, sharing it amongst the, you know, just buying tonics on board and all that kind of thing and just sort of ruining it for the... For the majority as per usual so i'm actually with ryanair on this one i think it's a a very sensible idea although i don't know how it would fit fa- uh, given um um swissport and ryanair handling baggage handling their reputation i'm not quite sure how well they, they would survive uh mm. <laughs> being hulled around on you know conveyor belts and all that kind of thing
0: but also i mean i think this it's this is not going to solve the problem because no these folks are, are fairly well tanked up before they, can, they mm. get on the aircraft. So they are already uh, several lagers in. Uh, but
1: where do you stop it, Nev? That, that's the thing. Where do you stop it? Because uh, I confess to having been one of those people who will enjoy a pint of cider at the airport oh. at 6am just because I'm officially in holiday mode. Um, you know, I'd like to think that I'm not a moron on the aeroplane. Uh, <laughs> Oh, no! <laughs> even i would agree with that thank nice. you thank you but uh but but where do, but genuinely where do you stop with that i mean do you then start limiting how much people can drink in the Weatherspoons, for example i mean most airports now have a weather spoons um certainly in the major london airports there's a Weatherspoons that you can go and you know have a pint or two and, and an all-day breakfast because once again those are the rules um you know, where, where, where do you draw
0: the line? The, it's a lot of pressure on the the gate staff, isn't it? Yeah. As well, because they don't want to have someone on the aircraft that the captain then has to get involved with, and then you know delay the flight and all the rest of it. Um, and I'm sure there's there's people boarding aircraft that have had far too much to drink and really mm-hmm. shouldn't shouldn't be on the aircraft. Um, I, I think this is just an ongoing problem that it's never been it's never properly been solved mm. and also if it's not solved at the gate uh, or during the boarding process then this is where you get delays, cancellations, diversions, and, and all the mm. rest of it. Um, well,
1: and, and, and um, a mutual friend of ours, Nev, um, obviously had to restrain a passenger only this week on the airline that they work for, having to sort of, you know, sort of deal with, and they, they were drunk and um, causing a nuisance and all that kind of thing. And um, one of the comments that they made was it, was, it wasn't so much the restraining them and that, it's like they're desperate to not have to do it, purely because of the paperwork it generates for all these people who have you know rather than just finish their shift disappear off home and go to bed they're having to stay behind for an hour hour and a half talking to security talking to um you know talking to hr and all that kind of thing in regards to the paperwork they've got to fill in to dot the i's and cross the t's of what happened in the air and
0: all because somebody didn't know their limits i feel feel that jeff is going to contribute something
3: major at this point well i have a question so, uh, and perhaps I just didn't read the article um, thoroughly. But does not Ryanair uh, offer or and serve uh, alcoholic beverages on their flights? Yes,
1: yes, absolutely, they do. Yeah, indeed. And, and I dare so, say, if they if they bought all of the alcohol on their flight, um, I always see like perhaps buying it. I, can they can they do duty free alcohol on the airplane, Nev?
3: No, no. Well. I, th- I think, the pro- uh, this is the way I took it, mm. they're buying duty free in order to have much less expensive alcohol on their flight, and not buy the alcohol mm. from the airline on the on the flight.
1: Yeah.
3: And uh, so I don't, you know, I, I can see that, I can see why they'd want to offer their own alcohol service. You know, and because they make some money yeah. on it, and they can control it uh, a little bit more effectively than uh, the people that are just you know dipping in or mm. whatever, breaking into their own duty free. Now, maybe I'm misunderstanding the whole thing, but that's what I got from it.
1: Well, I don't, as I say, I don't have a problem with Ryanair saying, "Yeah, absolutely," but stick it in the hold. I don't have, I personally don't have a problem with that at all. I think that's a a very sensible thing, and I suppose, um you know. If they're buying it, I know it you know, I know it's more expensive obviously to buy it online, but if you really do want a vodka and tonic, for example, in the air and you're you know, then buy you know, buy it from the uh, buy it from cabin crew. But of course they will regul you know, if you start looking like you're getting a bit leery and carried away with yourself, then, you know, presumably, you know, cabin crew mode kicks in, you know, safety cabin crew mode kicks in rather than serving drinks mode, um will kick in and say, No, I think you've had enough um, whether yeah, well, that would then create you know, an incident off the back of that or not, I guess, is a difficult call.
3: I, I don't know what the policies are of all the world airlines or the, all the U.S. airlines, but I know that the airline for which I fly, mm. uh, you are not allowed to um, drink anything that you've taken on board with mm. you, including duty-free. So it's, it's been that way for many, many years uh, here at Acme Airlines. So. Um, I think they're just kind of following what a lot of uh, Mm. operating or procedures are for many airlines around the world.
1: Well, I suspect that that scenario has been in place for a while here, to be honest with you, Jeff. I think it's probably just that people are sneaking a a, a whiff or two, if you like, out of their overhead baggage, if you see what I mean, just to sort Mm -hmm. of… to sort of do it it's um yeah i i'm 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 with ryanair on this one i think it's a a good shout and i hope in lots of ways that the likes of jet 2 and EasyJet especially um you know jet 2 i mean goodness knows i mean i I swear we cover one of their stories every week where uh, things have not gone according to plan in terms of in flight there always seems to be flight fights breaking out which breaks my heart because jet 2 is a wonderful airline you know that really looks after their their passengers but um yeah i i hopefully Hopefully, um, you know, perhaps some of the other low cost air carriers will um, follow suit if you like to sort of back Ryanair up a bit, I guess,
0: on this. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, the next story is another uh, story with, with some uh, difficulty, shall we say. Uh, Jeff's going to talk us through uh, the story here.
3: Now, let me see. Uh, so, we talked about al- alcohol and the Brits, and now we're talking <laughs> about drugs. So, obviously. The American is going to cover it. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is from um, elpes.com. El is yeah. that what that says? Okay. Yeah, the, the English version, no less. Oh, <laughs> yes. English.elpes.com slash international. Ooh, okay, on Tuesday, the Bolivian government acknowledged that drug trafficking has permeated police, customs, airports, and the state owned airline Boliviana de Aviación. Wow that 's pretty good I should get, I should ring my that's, bell that's very nice um, yes I like that thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, last week it was revealed the that members of these institutions allowed four hundred and eighty four kilograms of cocaine to be transported to Madrid on a commercial flight on February 12 and subsequently prevented the incident from being detected by internal security mechanisms it's believed that the uh, beneficiary of this network of collusion with in the state was an international drug trafficking organization with links to Bolivia and Spain. The three ministers in charge of the state agencies concerned in the narco fight affair appeared before the press Tuesday to try to quell the the barrage of criticism that had begun a few days earlier. The country had spent almost a week talking about a BOA flight last February, on which half a ton of drugs had been discovered. The aircraft of the country's leading commercial airline was parked at Madrid's Adolfo Suarez Airport. Two former presidents who lead the opposition from opposing sides, uh, Evo Morales and Carlos Mesa, blamed Luis- o- did, um, just a <laughs> aside here, did Liz put you guys up to uh, me doing this particular story with all the hard to pronounce names? I, I can't you know. possibly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, blamed uh, Luis Arce's government over the affair. The protection of drug trafficking by his ministers is clearly proven, tweeted Morales, who had elevated Arce. Am I saying that right? Arce? Arce? to the presidency I should know the president but I don't uh, and whom he now accuses of leading the internal right of his party Mesa demanded the intervention of the entities involved the enormous cocaine shipment transported with uh, the uh, Bolivian airline shows the penetration of drug trafficking in the governments of or yeah of the movement for socialism Morales and Arce's party and institutional and political complicity he wrote I'm getting lost in all this.
1: Yeah, no, that's um, fine. Okay. I, I mean, we get the gist. To be honest with you, Jeff. Okay. Honestly, it's one of the, it's one of those, isn't it? It's. um yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sure. I mean, you could probably say this across the world, couldn't you? Really, to be fair. I mean, we're reading a story involving Madrid and and Bolivia, but uh, you know, it could be. You, you could argue that this is uh, happening across the world. Really, I guess in in terms of, of what's going on there. I, you know, it's. Uh, uh, the conversations about how to to stop it i guess will will always be rife i mean you, you know you can use the al- the alcohol argument as the same sort of you know the same yardstick can't you really in terms of, of sort of trying to find answers to this but um, yeah it's um not i think so obviously
0: sp- there's quite a few people that w- were complicit in this i would imagine mm. uh, uh, because uh, this doesn't just happen, half a ton of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Gets drink. It's not a small yeah. number, is it? It's That's like, a you huge know. amount. Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. What if that was on the load sheet, uh, Jeff?
3: Not. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they classified the uh, cargo. Uh, no, has no, Hazardous
1: goods, perhaps. Pharmaceuticals. Tal- Talcum powder. What category would that go under? Yeah. Just like <laughs> health and personal meat. hygiene. Personal one? hygiene. No. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Energy drink. Would it go under that? No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it would be <laughs> quite true. Yeah, indeed. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, let's, let's abort this one before we end up all in in, yeah. in court or something, shall we? Abort. <laughs> Absolutely. amen family to that. show. Yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh family show, ladies and gentlemen. Fairy show. Uh, <laughs> quite. Uh well, next
0: Nick. one. Uh, Nick's gonna have a go at mm. this one for us. Uh this is an interesting one. Uh about uh animals uh on the runway or on the taxiway at least by the looks of things.
4: Yeah, it's a bit of a sad one this, I think. It's uh it comes from cbsnews.com And uh it's caused a little bit of controversy in the USA with uh, a wild moose that's managed to go and do a bit of plane spotting, I think. So a uh, a moose killed after wandering onto Bradley Airport in Connecticut. Environmental officials killed a moose in Connecticut after it wandered onto the grounds of a major airport. The moose was spotted Friday morning wandering along a road at Bradley International Airport and officials decided to put the animal down, say, citing safety concerns for air travellers and drivers along a, near, a nearby highway. When moose are roaming in high traffic areas such as airports and public roadways, it can be a public safety concern, and both the Department of Energy, Environmental Protection and Airport staff are authorised to euthanize, euthanize a moose if deemed necessary, a spokesman for the department said in a statement. The animal never breached the perimeter fence that protects the airport runways, and no flights were affected. The animal had not been injured, and it's unclear why the animal could not be moved. The department did not immediately respond to a request for additional comment on Sunday. Uh, It's estimated there are between 100 and 150 moose in Connecticut. Airport spokeswoman said officials constantly monitor threats from wildlife in the area and have comprehensive strategies to ensure that the airport is prepared to handle any wildlife-related situations. Bradley International Airport is New England's second-largest airport, behind only Logan in Boston, and serves Connecticut and Western
3: Massachusetts.
0: Hmm. Is that
3: one you've flown into, Jeff? Oh, yeah. Um, Many, many times. Any wildlife? Uh, Well, you know, the layovers. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Quite obvious obviously
3: yeah. a joke yeah, yeah, yeah um uh the uh no i've not i don't recall ever except for you know birds but you know birds are everywhere um but uh no i've not seen anything like um like a moose or anything large like that uh, See, this, there at bradley
1: this is a really t- tough one for me because I, I completely understand why people are upset about it um and and the question has been raised isn't it why no effort was made to sort of move them on but i guess once it's once it's got into the fence you know if it's like broken into the fence to 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 get in there in the first place it's not necessarily going to be very easy to corner to get you know sort of back out again um because there's not really usually there's not like a big gate you can let them them out of um to sort of you know to to avoid having to euthanize the animal i mean these incidences i do feel are quite you know minimal um and obviously it is very sad um you know that, that, that this has had to be done but i don't know I, I i feel like you know they've got to do they've got to do what what's the safest thing to do in terms of of you know an active airfield and all that kind of thing, haven't they? I mean, I, I don't know, it's a really tough call.
4: Yeah, it well, feels it's a little bit like uh it's it's sort of bad planning in in a way if wildlife are able to to kind of access the area and the roads mm. quite so easily, uh, but then I guess, you know, at what point do you uh, you know, you can't stop a large animal wandering onto a road and and ultimately if it wanders along that road far enough it's going to get to an airport so it's, it is a tricky one and, and it's hard to be able to shut them out entirely so um, i must
0: say all my trips in scandinavia but certainly especially in sweden and norway uh, the fences are extremely high around the, the wooded areas even on the roads uh, so that moose and elk and all the rest of it just can't get over them and, and the it's, it's a huge amount of work for the contractors to do all this obviously but um mm. it's the only way to do it just um, to keep keep them in one
3: place. So I'm you know reading this article and, and seeing the uh, photograph that was included in it. Um, I, it's hard for me to tell. Is the moose on you know what side of the fence is this moose on? It doesn't look like it's on the actual side where no. the taxiways and the runways are. It looks more like an access road yeah. around. I, I
4: don't believe it was airside right. from, from from what I understand. Right
3: and the other thing I'm wondering, um maybe they just don't have the the facilities to do this uh or the or the uh the tools, but I would imagine couldn't you just use some kind of a tranquilizing yeah, that's a good shot gun tell. and and then you know safely transport the animal back into you know a, a safer area and not kill it, uh, it just I don't know does it seem like well
1: and if it is in an area like like you say jeff where um you know it looks like it's you know an access road rather than um you know sort of actually on like the runway or or you know taxiways or whatever um you know presumably there would have been time to call for a vet for example who would have access to the tranquilizers and tranquilizer darts and guns in order to be able to um, subdue the animal in order to be able to remove them safely from the argument i i i, I, I perhaps, perhaps it was a knee-jerk reaction or a knee-jerk call and it, it what they're they're receiving more of a reaction perhaps than they were expecting to 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 doing this you know as you say it's it's difficult not to feel like that they could have done more um to not have to euthanize um the animal which you know is certainly based on that photograph and the article in the story wasn't actually i mean i suppose it was endangering the airfield but it wasn't on the airfield at the time um that they made the call um but then when do you when do you pull you know when do you make that call when do you make the decision um you know because it could potentially obviously have endangered aircraft and and all sorts of things. Such a tough... Tef- well, it,
0: perhaps the, the the moose didn't get pushback or taxi clearance. So true. Ah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Step yeah. In. <clears throat> Not listening to Filmers. the comms
1: on the ATC. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you
3: know, uh, Liz Piper, uh, a Canadian. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, she, you know, she lives up in Canada. And they have a lots of, uh, of these uh, huge creatures mm. up there. I'm wondering maybe she'd be the one to ask for expert advice on how Mm. to handle the situation she's in our live chat room Um, indeed
1: absolutely maybe she can
3: tell us what to do
1: and while we're (laughs) waiting while we're waiting for liz actually captain ridiculous Witch is saying point being if they kill it they still have to dispose of its body so if they uh it then there's no difference other than the animal will wake up in the woods essentially mm-hmm. so yeah that's true you you can't just leave the body there can you um so they might as well have tranked to it and done done something with it ultimately it's our fault that the wildlife are in danger because we built our airport on their home and they don't know any better which is a very good point um and liz is saying now that i do think tranquilizing it would be a good option i i, I feel I, I feel like the 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 the, the decision to to youth and i mean i wasn't there Let's be honest. None of us were there. We don't really know the, the full circumstances of why that decision was made. But um, as Liz is sort of saying there, I do I do feel like um, I do feel like more effort could have been done to sort of save the animal, if you see what I mean. Um, personally, that is.
0: Personally, Matt, very good point. Very mm. good point. Um, now, talking of the chat room, um, if you would like to have a guess as to how many passenger airlines are still operating the boeing 747 now is the time to do it there's, and there's no competition prize for this one just a <laughs> matter of interest because we're going through books at a fairly big rate of knots at the moment so we haven't got time or the uh, resources to do another competition but just for just for fun uh, if you'd like to tell us in the chat room how many you think are still going because i'm just going to read them to you now um so the list of remaining operators is actually quite short and it's getting shorter by the day because back in 2020 several former major operators of the type including Qantas, Virgin Atlantic, KLM and British Airways all retired their 747 fleets early due to the pandemic however there are still a handful of operators uh, operating the Dash 400 series and the Dash 8 for passenger services. Uh, one of them is uh, Air China. Um, They're listed as having 10 in their fleet. Uh, one of these is a specially configured 747-8, which is used for VIP services, with the airline operating nine others, uh, which are 747, uh, threes, se- sorry, 747-400s and 747-8s. Uh, however, only one 747-400 and three 747-8s. 800s are currently active. Um, for the past seven days, uh, the 747-400 registered as Bravo 2447 has operated the same route every day between Beijing and Shenzhen. Uh, the carrier's 747-8s, meanwhile, have an average age of just over eight years old, and are regularly deployed on both domestic and long-haul services from its Beijing base, including to Frankfurt and New York JFK. Uh, Asiana Airlines has just won 747-400 in its fleet, uh, registered as Hotel Lima 7428. The aircraft carries up to 398 passengers in a three-class configuration, 10 in first class, 24 in business class and 364 in economy. Uh, in recent days, the Seoul-based carrier has been deploying the aircraft on regional routes to Ho Chi Minh City and Shanghai, as well as the busy domestic corridor to Jeju. Um, Seoul to Jeju was the world's busiest airline route in 2022 by the number of flights with a total of 44,180 flights over the year Um, and you can see the the top 10 busiest routes in this report from the uh, simpleflying.com team Uh, Atlas Air is a charter airline, it's got a fleet of 5 passenger 747-400s Although these fly solely on a wet lease basis, so only two of them are currently listed uh, on chaviation.com. Uh, they are uh, November 481 Mike Charlie and November 482 Mike Charlie. Both 22-year fo- former, 22-year-old uh, former Virgin Atlantic jets. Uh, Atlas Air is currently opening operating. Sorry, both aircraft on behalf of the U.S. Air Force. Uh, Korean Air as one of only three passenger airlines to take delivery of the passenger Boeing 747-8. Korean Air has ten of the type. Uh, The carrier received its first 747-8 in August 2015 and today the aircraft uh, is an average age of seven years old. Um, These are configured with six, six seats in first class, 48 in business class and 314 in economy. Uh, nine of the Sky team members, 10 8s are. Oh, I don't know what's happened with my screen suddenly. Um, that's a bit odd. Um, where are we? 747 uh, 8s are currently active uh, and operated flights to Atlanta, uh, Paris, and New York's JFK. Uh, Lufthansa is now the largest passenger Boeing 747 operator. Whilst many airlines chose to retire their 747-400s, the German flag carrier instead opted to uh, bid farewell to the far newer Airbus A380. The airline currently has a total of 8 747-400s and 19 747-9s in its fleet, all of which are active. Uh, in 2023, Lufthansa had been sending its 747-400s to the likes of Delhi, Toronto and Seoul uh, in spring 2022. And again this year, the carrier also deployed its 371-seat-400s on a, lum- a limited number of short-haul services <coughs> excuse me, between Frankfurt and Majorca. When it comes to the airlines... Dash eight, they can often be seen in long haul on long haul destinations ranging from Sao Paulo to Singapore and Mexico City. Uh, Iran's uh, Marnair is listed as having just one of the aircraft, 747-400. Uh, the 33-year-old aircraft started its life with United Air- Airlines and has been with Air since 2008. It's also been recently spotted in Dubai and Moscow. Uh, But after years of sanctions, Iran is no stranger to aging aircraft. In fact, the average age of the entire fleet of their aircraft is almost 29 years old. And the airline does not operate an aircraft younger than 20 years old. Uh, Finally, Maxair is a Nigerian carrier founded in 2008 and currently operates one 747-400 passenger aircraft. The airline previously had three of them but subsequently sent two of them to the U.S. for retirement. Uh, The one remaining aircraft uh, still flies regularly uh, to a variety of routes, the majority of them between um, Nigeria and Saudi Arabia, such as Kano and Medina. So that makes a total of seven operators. I must admit, it's more than I thought, Nev, if I'm honest. I, I sort of had this
1: vision that, uh, I mean, I know they're still very prevalent in the cargo world, aren't they? I mean, you, there are lots of 7.4s yeah. still flying. Because of the sheer weight that they can carry, isn't it? That That's essentially it, isn't it? Four big engines, you know, plenty of, plenty of um, tonnage available there. Um, in stark contrast to the question that you set, of course, this week, when we were talking about Cong- Concorde, for example. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I'm. I'm so pleased to see that there there are still several um, opportunities. I mean, I must admit, they're not air, airlines that I would recognise per se. Um, you know, other than like Lufthansa and stuff. I, I guess I'd stand a chance of possibly flying on one of theirs somewhere. But yes. um, but yeah, it's um, you know it, it is such a, an iconic aircraft. I'm still, to be honest with you, surprised that you know so many have been retired so soon. you see what I mean I mean I know it's an old an old aircraft but I mean that some of the ones that they retired weren't old if you see what I mean I
0: suppose it's the operating costs four Mm. engines versus two engines I mean the thing is with the long routes and the etops routes that the two engine aircraft fly these days the reliability of the engines is just phenomenal Mm. I think if they had had problems in obtaining, you know, ETOPS certification for some of the two engine uh, airliners uh, people would have kept with with the four but um, the reliability of these is just so good and obviously we're getting to the stage now where we're getting very fuel efficient engines as well Mm. Um, then, you know, it it makes a lot of sense Uh, I do miss the 7-4 though, I think it's been a great aircraft over a very long period of time, many decades of operation and uh, when Carlos and I went on the 747-400 coming back from uh, Dubai from the air show in 2019. Little did we know when we were talking to the uh, the cabin, sorry, the flight deck crew when we when they shut down, that uh, just a matter of uh, months later, uh, BA would actually withdraw all the aircraft from its fleet.
1: So forgive, forgive my naivety, naivety on this one. Hopefully you might be able to give me a clue on this. But so the 7.4 versus the 380. So the 380 is coming back into service. I know it's newer than the 7.4, but is it pure? I mean, is there a huge difference between what the 380 can carry versus the
0: 7.4? A little bit more. I, I mean, I think that the um, engine efficiency and fuel consumption is is the thing that mm. really isn't it uh, and also flexibility um, some of those A380s are, are used actually for some very short haul routes in some cases but very high density or high capacity routes mm. certainly in the, the Middle East and, and the Far East as well whereas in Western Europe they tended to be used by Lufthansa and British Airways and Emirates for going across the pond, uh, yeah. often to the west coast of the US and, and other places as well. Um, but uh, of course, the 380 has been discontinued as well. That's the other thing. To True.
1: Yeah. So, Although many are being put pop back into service post COVID yeah. now, aren't they? Yeah. That's yeah. that's yeah. the thing. Uh, Jeff, have you had much experience with um, the 74?
3: No. In fact, I've only been inside one while it was on the ground parked and wow. uh took a little view or a little tour of the uh of the cockpit area of the jet but mm. uh no i've never actually been on one as a passenger and obviously i've never uh flown one myself mm. no.
1: have have you been anywhere have you had a chance to go anywhere near a 380
3: i've been at airports where there've been 380s um, right. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. You know, like me then, fair enough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. but I've not, no. I have not set foot on one or touched one. or. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I guess the closest I've been is the uh, uh, Farnborough uh, International. Yes, I was, International I, was, International.
1: I was I was. going to mention that, of course, because you, you and Nev and a couple of other people got the opportunity to have a, a nose around the high fly one, wasn't it, that was at Farnborough. Um, was it um, 2016, uh, I think? Yeah, it was. yeah, the first one, I yeah. think. yeah. yeah absolutely um it's um it's yeah it's a fa- it's a yeah interesting sort of one really but you know so there are still a handful of 74s still out there passenger variants that you could still catch a ride on i guess um but uh, yeah did anybody get it right in the chat room by the way did anybody uh, get get a number
0: i think they did i didn't see any that said mm. there were seven operators Matt. No, we had some no guesses of 3 and 14 two mm. uh but uh, no 7 is the answer. Mm. Uh, talking indeed. of long haul operations, Qantas are at it again. On indeed. Flightglobal.com, Matt.
1: They are indeed. Yes, absolutely. The headline on this one is Qantas relaunches New York route in direct competition to Air New Zealand. So Qantas has relaunched flights to New York after a three year hiatus, this time operating via Auckland and uh, directly competing with trans Tasmanian rival uh, Air New Zealand uh, flight. QF3, operated by a Boeing 787-9, took off from Sydney on the 14th of June, first bound for Auckland before setting off for New York's John F. Kennedy Airport. Qantas will operate thrice weekly flights, increasing to four times a week from October. The airline operated to New York pre-pandemic but via Los Angeles, the rerouting via Auckland means that Qantas is the second carrier to fly between Auckland and New York. Air New Zealand operates the flagship route thrice weekly having launched it in September 2022 the airline will in 2024 retrofit aircraft operating the route with the new uh, cabin products including its game-changing economy bunk bed concept known as Skynest. Uh, as for Qantas, its 787 seat, uh, seat uh, 236 passengers in three classes, the airline adds that it has been using advanced cloud-based flight planning systems that model flights paths, measuring flights, times and winds to determine the optimal route an indirect reference to the weather woes that affected rival Air New Zealand's New York flights. At just over 16 hours the Auckland New York leg is Qantas's third longest route the Perth to London route which is 17 hours and 45 minutes and Dallas to Melbourne which is 17 hours and 25 minutes are the longest routes in the Qantas network. Airline chief Alan Joyce says since international borders reopened New York has been one of the most popular destinations for our customers who have been connecting on our on our partners from Qantas flights arriving into Los Angeles and Dallas so it's not surprising that we've seen very strong demand since for our New York flights that went on sale the launch comes as Qantas moves closer to launching non-stop flights from Australia's east coast to New York and London under the Project Sunrise program Qantas expects to launch the ultra long haul flights by the end of 2025 with a fleet of Airbus
0: A3 350-1000s there we go oh, that's going to be a slog isn't it honestly i mean it does feel like a really long flight doesn't it i don't know what the longest flight you've ever done mine was uh heathrow to singapore i think which is about 13 and a half hours and that's about as much as i could stomach to be honest think, with, without yeah, a break
1: i think the longest flight i ever did was actually not so much it wasn't the london to it wasn't london to Kuala Lumpur it was the Kuala Lumpur to New Zealand leg that I think was just shy of 13 hours and that was I was very ready to get off that aircraft when I got to the (laughs) other end
0: so this next story is on the uh, faa.gov website and it concerns cockpit flight and uh, sorry flight deck security Uh, I thought we dealt with that uh, in previous times after 9/11, but there's some uh, more information about this. Uh, Jeff, could you uh, give us uh, your uh, your opinion about this? And uh,
3: oh yeah, read it for us as well. Sure, uh, let me let me read and then I'll give you my opinion. Yeah. Um, this is from FAA.gov, uh, and let's see, installation and operation of flight deck installed physical secondary barriers on transport category airplanes. Just kind of rolls off the tongue. <laughs> um, Excerpts from the report. This final rule implements one Section 336 of the FAA Reauthorization Act of 2018. <laughs> it's about time. That was uh, about five years ago. <laughs> uh, requiring the installation and use of the installed physical secondary barrier, IPSB, that will be deployed, closed, and locked whenever the flight deck door is opened while the airplane's in flight. This final rule affects operators conducting passenger-carrying operations under Title 14 of the Code of Federal Regulations, or what we like to call the FARs, Part 121, with transport category airplanes operating in the U.S. by requiring the operators to use the IPSB when installed as part of their procedures for opening up the flight deck door. Affected operators must comply with this rule when operating transport category airplanes manufactured two years after the effective date of this final rule. Okay, so it's going to be another two years after they uh, make this effective uh, that manufacturers have to install these things, I guess. Uh, In this final rule, the FAA estimates costs of $35,000 for the purchase and installation of an IPSB after the addition of training and other costs. The present value costs for this rule are $236.5 million, $20.3 million annualized at 7% discount rate and $505 million, $29 million uh, annualized at a 3% discount rate. Not sure what any of that means. It's just going to cost a lot of money, I guess. When the flight deck door must be open for lav- bre- lavatory breaks, meal service, or crew changes, the flight deck could be vulnerable to attack. The benefit of this rule requiring installation and use of IPSBs on airplanes on in Part 121 service is to slow such an attack long enough so that an open flight deck door can be closed and locked before an attacker could reach the flight deck. Uh, given the foregoing, the FAA continues to determine that a two-year compliance time, as proposed by the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, is appropriate. Um, shall I continue reading this, or do, is that enough? Yeah,
0: well, I think we've definitely got the, the gist of it. got the gist, it, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, gosh, that, this is, um, well... So I've got many questions here, but Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about your airline, Jeff, but many airlines, uh, if there is going to be a lav break from one of the two flight deck crew members, um, either certainly what I've seen on British Airways is that a senior cabin crew member has to stand in front of the the door, uh, even though it's uh, shut and, and locked, or um they have to be on the flight deck to accompany the first officer or the captain depending on who's uh vacated it um Mm -hmm. but i can't quite understand here what why we're sort of um putting extra security in when the presumably i'm assuming that the existing uh facility Surely is adequate because you know this is this has been in place since just after
3: the 9/11 attacks. Well, it's just an added uh, piece of uh, deterrent uh, to because it, even when you have somebody standing there and perhaps maybe uh, beverage carts or meal carts in front of and kind of blocking, uh, uh, being used as a secondary barrier. Um, it, it, anything that could possibly strengthen that deterrent measure um, would be uh, appropriate and I think that there are ways that a, an attacker could get by some of the present procedures that we're using to um, you know to block access to the to the flight deck door um, and uh, I th- I think that's the whole purpose of it just to kind of make a a much more difficult um, go of it for um, a terrorist to try to gain access to the flight deck and um, at my airline um, it, if if there is a jump seater uh, or a, an extra crew member up there uh, one of the pilots can leave um, and it does not have to have somebody like a, a, a cabin um, crew to come into the cockpit itself that only happens when there is only two pilots, Up there and one of them has to leave so you never want to leave just one pilot you know by themselves up there so that's why uh, we have a a cabin crew member uh, and not necessarily the senior cabin crew member it may appear that way uh, in your experience Nevin maybe that's the procedure with British Airways but uh, with us it's just one of the one of the flight attendants has to come up there and uh, be in place uh, while one of the pilots is is has left the uh, flight deck and is uh, using a lavatory. But yeah. uh, but the funny thing is, you know, you said, well, haven't we, you know, like hasn't this been something that uh, people have been talking about implementing for for quite some time, like since 9/11, basically, or or just a few few years after? Yes, you know, the airline pilots' association, um, the uh, union, basically, that represents. Most of the uh, professional airline pilots in the U.S. Has, ha, have been, you know, asking for, begging for this to be put into legislation uh, and, re- you know, the requirement of this kind of secondary barrier be put in place. And uh, finally, you know, what, tw- more than 20 years after the 9-11 attacks, they're actually looking like they're going to seriously implement this, this uh, procedure, or not procedure, but... Device, But again, it's only going to be, what, two years after this is signed and uh, and put into effect, and only new aircraft... You know, th- there's no requirement that I can see that uh, we'll have the airlines putting, you know, retrofitting current airplanes with mm. this kind of uh, uh, secondary barrier.
1: It's a funny one, isn't it? I suppose it's, um, you know... I, I mean, is the, is the answer, for example, putting putting a toilet, if you like, in the, you know, that hat, the crew has access to without mm. having to leave the
3: cockpit, for that example. That would be the best solution, yeah. you know, but obviously that's probably extremely expensive and yeah. the engineering involved to, you know, to make the... But, you know, for, you know, airplanes that are going to be built in the future, mm. perhaps, you know, maybe... It would still probably be more expensive than this IPSB uh, device, um, but I, I mean, agree with you. I mean, if you just stay up there and not have to leave the uh, the flight deck at all, yeah, would be the, the best solution.
1: Although I suppose you, I mean you still you guys still need feeding. Let's be honest. Um, you know I suppose well
3: not in the airplane that I fly. We don't no. we don't ever get fed anything because <laughs> they're sh- such short flights. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're doing long haul, um, mm. unless you have some kind of a a way to, you know, get the meals uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, and the used dishes and, you know, items, uh, you know, after the uh, meal has been consumed into and out of the cockpit area uh, without, you know, having to open up a door or whatever. You know, it, there are a lot of logistics that uh, uh, are kind of uh, hard to work around, I think. Mm
1: indeed indeed now we do have some pictures i think of some of the proposed designs i'm just trying to uh find that now as a way of sort of solving uh solving the issue for want of a better word um i don't really know a lot about uh yeah sort of like almost like a cage i suppose if you like sort of like between Hmm. between the cockpit door and the um thing but i mean in most in, like so using this picture so I'm, I'm trying to th- think how best to describe this too so uh if you're at the front of the airplane um the bit where you would normally find like the galley and the toilet at the front of uh your average aircraft uh there appears to be like a, a cage well not a cage but you know it, it kinda reminds
4: to... me of a children's stair gate, yeah like, yeah
1: but for grown-ups, essentially, <laughs> yes. um, um, be- between you and the cockpit door. So, I mean, the only issue there would be, um, I mean, maybe that's the other issue, is the fact that you don't let people at the front use the toilet, and that is reserved exclusively for cabin crew and um, and pilots, maybe, and then everybody else has to troop off to the back, where there are more mm-hmm. loos anyway. I mean, that's a, a short-term solution, perhaps. right um yeah i mean that's that's one option and then have your security gate as it shows in the picture here as one way of doing it uh another design from a different airline but the, the concept is still the same basically uh, i think really so yeah i i don't know i don't know I, it's just like uh, maybe we need to find a way of eradicating people who are likely to do bad things maybe that's the the long-term oh, solution nice, but...
0: I think we yes, we've been trying to do that Good for luck. Um, many centuries. <laughs>
1: well, quite yes. But, uh, are you mm. suggesting we're no nowhere near nearer to doing that, Nev? Uh, They're just getting rude. clever, aren't they? That's they what. are indeed. Um, indeed. Now there's a
0: story this week uh, regarding Ryanair, mm-hmm. um, where they have dismissed their chief pilot um, because of inappropriate behaviour. Behaviour. Um, regarding uh, training and regarding uh, interface with um, seven mm. junior female pilots who are aged between twenty-one and thirty-two, I don't want to go into any of the detail of that particularly for obvious reasons. But mm. honestly, it it's shocking, isn't it? Really, it is. someone with that level of seniority and presumably has spent you know uh, a very large part of his life. Flying and, and getting to that level of seniority where you're a chief pilot for that that kind yeah. of airline, and you um, even make I was quite a, a series of errors, not not just one or two, but many. No, um, and you know it's just it's tragic, really, isn't it, mm. for for the people involved, um, but also for him himself because he allowed himself to you know get into that situation mm. and made other people feel very uncomfortable. Absolutely
1: indeed indeed um but if you are interested in that story i will make sure that i include a luke a link i should say into it um from our show notes so if you want to uh, get the very latest on that as i say it's uh, it's it's quite a, a shocking read to be honest with you but uh, yeah I, I thought those days were behind us to be honest with you turns out it doesn't seem to be the case
0: anyway let's get back on to more uh, more pleasant things now shall we mm. um Nick and I and Carlos went to RAF Cosford for the air show last weekend. What did you think, Nick? Did you enjoy it? It was fantastic.
4: Yeah, what a great day out. I was really pleasantly surprised, actually. I'd never been before, so I didn't know what to expect. And I was quite impressed by the the scale of the air show in terms of, uh, you know, the physical size of, of the actual kind of showground that was set up. Uh, The amount of exhibits on the ground, Uh, there's an awful lot of aircraft, static aircraft on the ground that you can go and look at, uh, and a tremendous amount of uh, exhibits on behalf of uh, various different uh, elements of the RAF, for example. Um, And then obviously a a huge diversity of of aircraft doing flying displays as well. So yeah, we had a great time.
1: I tell you what, now shall, shall we play the clip? Uh, I've yes. got a question I want to ask Nick afterwards, actually. So <laughs> let's let's play the clips uh, and see <laughs> yeah. what see what he makes of it.
2: Right. Well, the sun is shining, and uh, we've got a prime position here uh, for our first piece of video for the show this week. The DC three behind us, and Nick has joined us as well. Good morning. Your first outing to uh, to an air show here, Nick. Fantastic. Loving with it. us with a team. Yep, it's great to be
4: here. It was a bit of a bit of a
2: oh, effort, I should say, getting in here. But you, a, you got in in the
4: end. I got here in the end. Yep. Yeah. So I've had a nice little tour around the airfield and its <laughs> it, its environs. So, uh, but yeah, finally made it in, and uh, yeah, great to be uh, great to be here with you guys, and uh, absolutely um, amazed at how busy it is and how much there is to see here. It's fantastic. Nev, mm.
2: after <laughs> yesterday's journey in, the weather was was slightly. Ooh. Strange coming up uh, up here, but for you, obviously you you arrived this morning. Yeah, it
0: was 31 degrees yesterday at home uh, and uh, still quite warm here today, we didn't have any of the rain business at all, Um, been very well looked after by the media team here with uh, Chris Wilson and his team, excellent. Chris was saying as well that uh, they're expecting around about 10,000 youngsters here, so that's really good for future recruitment I would have thought. Uh, in the military and civil aviation world, uh, which is great stuff. So that's what it's all about, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we've, we've got uh, a nice media centre with mm. tea and coffee and uh, it's, uh, we've, and a car parking as well is, is um, quite
0: good for us guys mm. as well. We can, uh, we've done a, a quick recce of the food situation oh, yes. and I think Captain L would be impressed. Definitely be impressed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, You wouldn't be impressed at the prices, though, but you'd be impressed <laughs> at the quality of the food. But, so, yeah, yeah.
2: We, we've had we've had the uh, the airshow bacon roll already this morning, oh, which okay. has been uh, really good. And, uh, yeah, we've, we've already filled our boots. Nick, you're yet to have a bacon roll. Yeah, I need to take care of these priorities quite urgently. Yeah, exactly. So it's a great day, the sun is shining, and uh, we're hoping that... Uh, I think the weather was... Was do to stay off until at least sort of three, yeah, two or three pm as afternoon. Most so of the, uh, should time be good. Should be right. Yeah. 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 So all good, all being well. With great lineup as well of aircraft here displaying and static aircraft as well, which I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll see very soon. So um, I think RF Cosford Air Show 2023. Shall we? Uh, Let's shall we get, get go? it going? Let's go. And do Let's go. It. Yeah.
1: I mean it sounds like you had an absolutely amazing time um well, guys. That was the the cooler
0: part of the day. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I bet. Uh now now uh, obviously Nick I I'm asking this to Nick because obviously you've only just joined the team and, and welcome uh, to the team of course. Uh now you attended an air show. Is this the first time that you've ever attended an air show with media access?
4: It was. Yes, it it felt like a Tremendous privilege. I was very, very excited when my passes turned up in the post, um, and I, I proudly displayed my my press badge, uh, hanging from the, the rear view mirror of my car, Love which it. entitled me to some uh, uh, parking within the the confines of, of the base itself. So. Uh, yeah. I was uh, able to sort of drive on in and and get right into the action and and i have to say actually that the team at cosford did an amazing job um it was tremendously well organized um mm. not only in terms of the way they were marshalling all the members of the public in and getting everybody parked um, but the the level of facilities that were there and and the sheer amount of stuff that they yeah. had available for members of the public to go and yeah. look at i have to say it it even if I'd paid to get in, it would have been tremendously good value. Mm, Yeah, indeed.
0: I mean, I'd give the uh, APG uh, folks a bit of a name check. Of course, RAF uh, Cosford is where... Uh, Captain Nick did one of his first lectures for the Royal Aeronautical Society. It as well It was, yeah, oh, absolutely. Which was uh, yeah. very well received it was. by all the members up there. Uh, yeah. Sorry, you, Matt, I, I cut across you now. Yeah, you, you filmed that one, didn't you, Nev? Didn't you, did, yes.
1: well, you went and attended that one, didn't you? Yeah. It's. Uh, I, I mean, I must say, one of the things I love, we're very, very lucky here. I mean, it, what is so lovely is, you know, obviously getting into the throes of the air, air show, getting involved and all that kind of thing. But I don't know how you feel about it, Nev. It's so lovely to be able to just take yourself away to a, a much to a little quiet area and enjoy a cup of tea just to sort of you know it's the whole english thing isn't it just relax a moment or two before you know and just have a moment's peace before you then go off back out into the air show that's what i love about yeah. <laughs> the media places and all that kind of thing but
0: uh, chris and the media team were very very accommodating i must yeah, say and indeed. it was our first trip there and we should be going back for some more i'm sure
1: absolutely uh, Indeed.
0: So, whilst we were there, uh, lots of static aircraft displays. However, one of the most significant ones was the Hercules C one hundred and thirty J, and of course, it's going to be its last trip around the United Kingdom uh, this week. It may have even completed all of that now. Wow! Know, but uh, we were yeah, lucky that was on to see Wednesday. It. Oh, that's right, it was, wasn't it? On Wednesday, yes, you are right. Um, so, we were very lucky to go and uh, see it and uh, have a word with one of the fellows who was. Uh, standing next to it. His name's uh, Howard Fieldman and uh, here he is talking to Carlos.
2: So you join me at the uh, C-130J Hercules here. Am I here with Howard Fielder? How are you Howard? I'm alright, thank you very much. Good, thanks Thanks for letting us come here and uh, see the amazing aircraft we're standing next to. Um, and tell us a bit about yourself. What, uh, what's your, uh, your role here?
5: So I'm the uh, Senior Engineer for 47 Squadron. so I manage the people and uh, lead the engineering um, on the last remaining C-130 squadron.
2: That's great. So you've got quite an in-depth job, very technical job, I would say.
5: Yeah, yeah it, is, um, it is a, it's a technical job. Um, it's a bit big leadership challenge as well, um, but it has a lot of technical elements. Um, a lot of The aircraft keeps us interested and keeps us entertained every day. So how, how did uh, your aviation career passion start for you? Was it at an early age? Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of people who get into this field, it was things like going to sitting at the end of the runway at, uh, at Fairford watching Vulcans take off after the air show and feeling that rattle in your chest and things like that. So, you know, those visceral feelings from from the aircraft that have now left us. So, yeah, that's that's what, what got me into it. Yeah. So your career start. Are you a pilot yourself or is it you're purely kind of the engineering side of things? Yeah, firmly feet on the ground. I'm. Yeah, def- definitely keep the aircraft fixed from the ground, yeah.
2: So, um, progression on to obviously you went to school, done your exams and stuff and then went on through, Is it, was it the Royal Air Force was kind of the, the vision for, for you for, the, for your career?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I th- thought about joining the RAF right the way through my uh, you know, formative years at school and going to university and studied engineering um, and always felt that it would be a good career. Um, obviously, there's always been a temptation to go to industry, but um, the RAF career sort of stood out as one where there's a lot of variety and and a lot of um, yeah, uh, well, a lot of responsibility as well. Yeah, we talk to a lot of pilots
2: on the show, and obviously, pilots within the Royal Air Force who uh, who fly aircraft. Obviously, everyone thinks you know the Royal Air Force is is flying. All you do is fly is fly aircraft. Be become a pilot. But obviously, there is the engineering side, which is is a, a side I think that most people don't kind of look as an avenue to go down to be within the Air, uh, Royal Air Force. Is it kind of for you? Is it, it you know you, you, love, you love that aspect of it?
5: Yeah, absolutely. And there's we've got a, a lot of um, people who are technicians in the Air Force, and you think that's a growing area with um, you know the growing field of communications, cyber, and all that side of the house. Uh, we've got some 10,000 people in the RAF which, which are you know aligned to being a technician. so um, there's quite a few people and, and they're in a growing field away from you know the traditional operations of just flying aircraft into the new space of operations such as cyber. So yeah there's lots of technicians out there. So Howard, tell us a bit about this amazing aircraft we're standing right next to. Well this is, as you say, it is an amazing aircraft. This is the mighty, C-130J Hercules, um, the Super Hercules as some people call it and uh, the RAF has been operating this variant of C-130 since 1999, so now 24 years and in total with the C-130K we're just um, clocking up to 56 and a half years, um, which as Chief of the Air Staff said last week is the longest serving uh, RAF aircraft in service, um, even longer than the Canberra I'm told. Um, and this aircraft is, a, yeah, it's a really, really useful aircraft that has been operating in almost every conflict and every um, every operation we've conducted since since 1966, when we first got the aircraft.
2: So, Howard, tell us a bit about obviously there's tail art on here, which a lot of people
5: have taken notice of today. We've, we've seen it on here. What what is that representing? So, the tail art, um, the we, we've got a decal on the tail, um, which is trying to recognise um, the years of service of this aircraft and mark it out so that when we were doing the flypasts, and there'll be a flypast on on Wednesday on the 14th, and then the King's birthday flypast will be our last one, we're just trying to mark it out and and, and honour those 56 years, Uh, but doing it in a way uh, which has allowed us to operate these aircraft right away to the end. Um, So doing uh, an elaborate um, tail design would have been preclusive in order given the fact that we came back from operations only last Sunday. So a week ago, uh, we weren't able to put in place something more elaborate because, of course, you need you need time to put it on. And then also, should we get called to do anything, we need to be able to take it off again. So that, yeah, we went for a fairly simple design. I think it's quite elegant. Um, It recognises those 56 years uh, of operations um, across the two variants. So what other
2: uh, trips have you got planned for this year? Obviously shows. You've got, obviously we're here at RF Cosford uh, today, um, and obviously we're starting to get to the end now of obviously the tour with the aircraft. What,
5: Where, where are the uh, next sort of shows you'll, you'll be at this year? Um, so this is going to be our last show. So Cosford is our last air show. Um, we've got some amazing crowds here today. Uh, I can't, I'm absolutely blown away by the queues to come and see the Hercules um, and, uh, and, and yeah, we won't be going to Riyadh, obviously, because that, that is in July after we've gone out of service. So from here on in, we've got our national fly pass where many people from around the UK will get to see the aircraft. Um, and that's now been published, so people that are interested can see where they can go to see the aircraft. And then of course, we're going to be flying over London next Saturday for the King's Birthday Fly pass alongside many other RAF and uh, Defence aircraft. Oh, I'm sure, and you'll, will you'll be on board yourself? um i don't know like i said firmly rooted to the ground um i think the king uh, the uh, national fly pass is going to be a long long flight uh in the medium and low level um so it could be very interesting for passengers so i, I won't be on that um but there may be on the king's birthday depending on how many people we uh, we want to take up on the aircraft so what is a retirement plan then for the aircraft do you know well like this um like any aircraft, we've got a, a great um, sales agency to try and get the best value from these aircraft when, when they go out of service. Clearly, in an ideal world, we get, um, get every last ounce of, uh, of use out of these aircraft before they go out of service. These ones are roughly halfway through their life, so we will be selling them, and they're quite valuable assets, um, so we will be selling them. We've got 15 at the moment in the MOD, uh, five remain in the Ford fleet. But all of those 15 aircraft, uh, we will be looking to sell on, yeah.
2: I think it's safe to say, many people know the Hercules is kind of built to last. It's one of those aircraft that you you, you think of as being a bit like the B-52 that seems to go on and on and on. I think,
5: I think these aircraft will be flying for, for many years to come. Yeah, well, the American philosophy is if it, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't, you know, don't fix it. So, you know, you look at some aircraft like the B-52 um, which they're talking about it being the first hundred-year aircraft, you know, and this is the same. I mean, some of these aircraft have gone through major servicings inside the last year, 18 months, and so some of them are now, um, you know, have a bit like Triggers Brune. A lot of the components have been changed, and the only thing that's original on it are the are, are, is the airframe.
2: It's one. It's one of those questions that people ask us all the time: is when when you have an aircraft like this, is you know, what will, ha- what will be its end of life? You know, you see these these companies around the, the, the globe that tend to have like tags made up of aircraft and stuff. And when you have an aircraft like this, which has that tail logo on, you know, these aircraft become kind of collector's items in, in, in a sense. Uh, are you a, a collector of aircraft parts yourself, like
5: me? <laughs> um, I don't think I, w- I would say I am, but um, I mean, these aircraft, we've, we've obviously uh, looked at giving some elements to the RAF Museum and, and other museums in order to make sure that these uh, aircraft are, are their services honoured but honestly they are very valuable assets and they've got an operational future so um, with hopefully some other nations so yeah I don't think we'll be doing too much of that certainly not tail fins which are obviously a major part of the aircraft. <laughs> Coffee table made from yeah. that'd be nice yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, just one last question, Howard, on the show, we, we always ask our, our, the people we talk to on the show uh, this question. It's a kind of a, a kind of put-you-on-the-spot question as such in regards to aircraft, but if you were given the chance now, here at Cosford, uh, to jump into an aircraft, albeit retired, still flying, GA, military, commercial, whatever, if it was here at Cosford, you were given the opportunity to get in and fly
5: that aircraft, what would the aircraft be? That, that is a very difficult question, and one that's probably got a quite a quite a controversial answer. But, you can um, have more than one answer. Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, it would have to be either the Vulcan or the Lightning. Um, you know, the Lightning One. Um, I think both of those aircraft are pretty iconic, um, and they're they're aircraft that you know I've seen fly, and I would definitely want to go up and have a look at them. I think you know, my I'm an engineer, and I hear the stories about the. Uh, the engineers that worked on the Vulcan to make them ready to launch within the, the, the set amount of time that were required to and some of those, those elements. And I think that's the aircraft, Vulcan or... Yeah, def- definitely Vulcan or Lightning, yeah. Well,
2: that's not one we get very often, so it's good to hear a, a different difference in there. For me, I have to say, one of the things that I miss from the Royal Air Force, and those listeners of the show will know this because I, I go on about it all the time, mostly on the show... I do miss the TriStar. OK. I really do miss the TriStar. I, I know some, some don't miss the TriStar. For me, I loved the, uh, the L-1011 TriStars that you guys used to have, obviously, with the refuelling uh, wing. And I have a piece at home in the office as
5: well. Do you? Yes. So I, I, I do sort of miss the TriStar. I don't, I don't miss the, uh, the very long journeys in and out of Afghanistan on a TriStar. But I do miss really? the aircraft, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Was it right that we used to hear that they used to go tech a lot? For me, I'd I, I never, you know, I'd flown on them as a child, as a passenger version, but I always used to hear from, from the other members of the Royal Air Force that we talked to on the show, they used to say they used to
5: go tech quite a bit. So, they were, um, yeah, wonderful aircraft, but they, they required quite a lot of care and maintenance, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I've
2: got a piece of one at home anyway. But, Howard, just want to say a big thanks to you for coming on the show. It's been great to speak to you today and uh, talk about this aircraft and obviously the important role uh, that you guys play and stuff. So we wish you all the best for the future, whatever you're up to, and uh, thanks for uh, taking time to speak to us today. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, that was great, wasn't it? And that was uh, Howard Fielder there and uh, telling Carlos all about the C-130J and uh, what a tremendous aircraft Mm. that's been over many years. And of course, uh, Jeff, you've got some uh, past experience of heavy transport aircraft, haven't you?
3: Yeah, but before I tell you about that, can you still hear me? Yes, 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 all good. Did okay. you see the front of the airplane, the uh, pilot coming out of the front door mm. and kind of going like this? like you know, Get that guy out of here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I flew the, uh, as I was mentioning, before my my sound cut off. Um, and I think that it's actually uh, Matt that's doing it. Um, but, uh, How rude. The uh, C-141 uh, Starlifter uh, made by Lockheed, and that was the longest flight that I had uh, uh, taken, um, and it was a double uh, air refueling flight, and it was uh, quite long. It was somewhere between 15 and 17 hours, I believe. Um, can you still uh, hear and see me? Mm, yes. Very much so, okay. yeah, yeah. All right. And uh, So anyway, it was a great airplane. Uh, Lockheed. I've flown two Lockheed jets, and uh, one is the uh, 141 Starlifter and the other one, um, the civilian... Uh, Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, oh, which uh, no. Carlos uh, has a thing about <laughs> shoehorning
1: uh... into every possible interview. Yeah, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but it's it's a it's a beautiful airplane, best airplane yeah. I think I've ever flown in my life. But uh, yeah, so what what else did you want to know about uh, the long haul lifestyle of the uh, of the 141 that I flew basically for the U.S. Air Force Airlines? That's kind of the uh, job that I was doing in the uh, Air Force.
1: I mean, how how does that compare? I mean, I, you know, um, obviously most of your long haul stuff is is sort of in your military career, and I'm sure you did mm-hmm. a bit of long haul, obviously when you were first with Acme. But um, mm-hmm. like, how does that compare? How does like long haul flights compare with what happens in the commercial world?
3: Uh, they're very similar. Uh, the and uh, from in my experience, they were almost identical because back in the day when I flew the uh, as a first officer on the uh, L-1011 for ACME, um, it was a uh, three uh, pilot crew. Uh, so, you know, captain, first officer, and the second officer, which was the flight engineer. And back in those days, we didn't have brakes. You know, we, we didn't have uh, augmented crew. So we were in the seat the entire time of the flight, which uh, and Ooh. a lot of these flights, I was flying a lot of the uh, Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii uh, flights <laughs> out, out of Atlanta, hmm. and uh, those could uh, be you know eight, nine, ten hours. Sometimes hmm. even longer. Uh, the nonstop uh, back might even be closer to eleven, and uh, we were in the seat the whole time, no breaks. Um, Gosh. so, uh, it was a different kind of, and that was the kind of flying that I was doing in the 141, mm. uh, in the air force as well. Nowadays, uh, long haul flying is a little bit more, um, uh, I don't know what the right word would be comfortable, uh, because you know, you have more crew members to kind of spread the work periods out a little bit, and then you have a chance to leave the flight deck and, uh, go back in a crew rest facility, or at least a, uh, first class or business class seat, and uh, take a little bit of a break, maybe two, three, four-hour break mm. before um, returning to the uh, cockpit environment. And, uh, yeah, so um, it's a little bit different world, and I've not experienced that kind of long-haul flying. No. So.
1: no, indeed. Uh, any other questions, uh, Nev, before we, uh, we move on?
0: Uh, no. Um, only I th- just think that we should probably have Jeff, um, Jeff on the show permanently because he's so much more
3: interesting than Carlos. <laughs>
1: Well cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh wow, okay.
3: Hey Carlos, I have nothing to do with this. No. I, I and,
0: should
4: have just and, thought and, that. I shouldn't have and, said it. What well, and enough.
3: I have to say that like being fully involved in one podcast is enough for me on a full-time
1: basis <laughs> quite absolutely <laughs> indeed now nev uh not nev i keep doing this i don't know what's the matter with me at the moment uh jeff uh very exciting news uh because oh, yeah. uh not in not so many weeks away probably just over two to three weeks away you're actually coming to uh to the uk
3: yes i am um i Plan on heading over, uh, flying over, like on the 1st or 2nd of July, and then uh, staying at the uh, Anderson Casa, Ooh, lovely. Uh, Captain uh, Nick's uh, place with uh, his lovely wife, Jilly, and uh, what bef- at the end of that week, um, on the 7th, 8th, and 9th, for those of you out there who are Formula 1 fans and uh. Um, me, I, me, 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 me. I, I became a formula one fan because of all of the bad, uh, <laughs> the bad time that everybody was giving me about the fact, cause I used to be really into NASCAR, uh, racing and uh, people said, yeah, well, so it's always, you know, going around a track turning left the whole time. And they kept, you know, giving me a bad time about that. <laughs> you should check out formula one. I went, okay, I did. And uh, yeah, I got bitten by the Formula One bug, and I've been watching it now for a few years, and wow. I love it. And I thought, you know what, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to uh, see uh, where it all started. Basically, I, mm. I believe that's correct. Correct. At, uh, yeah. No, very the, the British Grand Prix. Yeah. And uh, so I was looking at some tickets, and uh, uh, all the you know regular grandstand tickets were all kind of snapped up. I mean, this is back in the, at the beginning of the year. They had already been sold out. So I ended up buying a couple of uh, hospitality uh, tickets. Which oh, hello. Think, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're lovely. Not, they're not cheap. <laughs> no,
1: I can not imagine. Cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. Uh, I bet.
3: And, uh, but anyway, uh, Nick has never been to a Grand Prix. Uh, <gasps> and, uh, and he's a big um, fan of Formula One. Mm. And uh, so I said, how would you like to go to... The British Grand Prix, so that's uh, what I'm actually, you know, going to be there for, which is that mm. that next weekend after I get there. But between the time that I arrive in uh, London area, uh, Nick's place, and the Formula One Grand Prix up at Silverstone, is it Silverstone or Silverstone? I hear Silverstone. Two... I say, I yeah. have to okay. say, yeah, uh, absolutely, Silverstone. And yeah. Silverstone, um, and so between that time. Uh, we thought it would be, you know, I I feel so bad because I'm going to be away from my my country, the United States of America, and uh, one of the important holidays for us as a a nation is uh, Independence Day, or otherwise known, a lot of people call it the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the 4th of July um, is uh, the 4th of July everywhere in the world. I mean, it's the 4th of July, just like the 4th of June, the 4th of May, the 4th of August. (laughs) So there's no reason that you, as citizens of the United Kingdom can't come and celebrate the 4th of July with me.
1: It sounds like a blooming good excuse to have a beer with an absolute couple of legends, to be honest with you. So uh, I've popped it in my diary. I'm going to try and do everything I can to get there uh, for it. It's on a Tuesday um, Mm -hmm. over at the Hendon RAF Museum. A little bit of a cheeky uh, meet-up with Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, and I'm sure a few other people as well.
3: Brace yourselves, everyone. The Yanks are coming to the UK. Yeah, he keeps calling it, you know, treason treason day. uh, (laughs) So. <laughs> like that I don't yeah know. yeah no. that,
1: that works yeah absolutely
3: yeah a- and uh we're gonna be going to the museum and then after that we're gonna uh, walk over to uh the beaufort pub <gasps> which is nearby and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna continue the meet up over there and then uh after a suitable period of time nick and i will get back on the train and head back to this <laughs> so love it love it yeah that's so what our plan is and oh uh, may i quickly mention i know i don't want to course, take up yeah, too much no, of your do, time do, do, do. um so after uh later in the week on on friday uh, most like thursday or friday we'll head up uh more toward where the where the grand prix is going to take place and we're going to be staying at nigel's place uh outside of banbury and um we're going to have a meet up on friday evening uh the uh that's the uh after the first uh and second, uh, free practices, we're going to head back wow. to Nigel's place. And then we're going to have a meetup, uh, probably at Nigel's place or maybe a pub nearby. And so we'll have more information about that, um, as the time approaches. So if you're happen to live closer to that area, uh, instead of, you know, not right in London, but you know, On what, the I guess aspires, the, yeah. that would be like to the north, north northwest. Yes, would that be yeah, a, yeah. right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to probably have a little meetup up there as well. So
1: sounds amazing. Well, as I say, I'm going to do everything I can to try and join you for that because it just sounds like uh, a too good an excuse not to come and visit two absolute legends.
3: Well, I'd love to see you, Matt. Yeah. Uh,
1: looking forward to that one. I'm going to do everything I can uh, to, to okay. do that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, well, get it in your diaries. Fourth of July is the, the one at Hendon and then more details still to come about yeah. uh, the one that's taking place uh, sort of nearer to, to uh, um, nearer to uh, um, Silverstone uh, but uh, yeah yeah, uh, watch APG for further details I think is the short answer to that one Nev, we probably ought to do a bit of military otherwise we'll upset Mr Warner. Do we have to? <laughs> yes, yes we do. I <laughs> thought we just did some <laughs> you well, wanna, A did, little bit Yes yeah.
0: <laughs> We did. <laughs> we did, absolutely. We've got to do a bit, a bit more.
1: Indeed. Okay. Here we go, everyone. Brace yourselves. What's
0: up, boogies? One, three, five, fifty. Angel, sixteen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> three, four, zero. <laughs> okay. Harder seat boogies.
4: Well, this first military story comes to us from Swissinfo.ch and it concerns one of the highlights from the Cosford show, actually. It was the uh, Petrui Suisse who performed a, a great display, actually. Uh, a really, really high energy routine with loads of low passes and, and fast turns. They were, they were really thrilling to watch. I really tremendously enjoyed them. So the the headline is House Damage, Person Injured After Aerobatic Display Collision. So two aircraft from the Swiss military aerobatic display team collided on Thursday with falling debris hitting a house. One person on the ground was slightly injured in the accident. The two F-5 Tiger planes were part of a formation practicing for a yodeling festival (laughs) in in central Switzerland. We don't have those in the UK. (laughs) Okay. The nose cone of one aircraft broke off and hit a house in the vicinity of the town bar. That sounds like somewhere you might like to go, Uh, (laughs) Jeff. Damaging the facade of the building and slightly injuring one person with shattered glass. The braking parachute of the other aircraft deployed in midair but caused no damage and was later recovered. All of the seven aircraft involved in the practice session landed safely. No pilot was injured. According to the Defence Ministry, a military investigation has begun to ascertain the cause of the accident. The display for the Yoling Festival has been cancelled sadly.
1: Oh, no. No, I mean, the good
4: news is there. Obviously,
1: everybody is okay. That's the exactly. that's the the, the main. <laughs> oh, look
3: at that was a That was That wild, was, that was, was back back on, yeah, yeah. a bit of talent at long last.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> a bit of talent at long last, uh, indeed. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's as I say, it's awful when when a display has to be cancelled, but everybody's okay. I think you know, I, I still see that as a win personally. So you know, there we go. It's um.
4: They did some amazing passes at the show, though. They mm. were there a couple of real low-level stuff where they were, uh, you know, it's one of those where, you know, they look like they're going to run into each other and Oof. really amazing sort of fast turns coming in towards the crowd and then turning at the last moment. It was really tremendous to watch, I have to say. They I bet. They a, a really great team.
0: I bet. Well, second military story. Uh, Jeff's going to tell us all about the military variant of the Leonardo AW609. I can't wait to tell them.
3: Uh, this is uh, ainonline.com. Uh, Leonardo's acquisition of Bell's share of the AW609 tilt rotor program in 2011 raised widespread speculation regarding the terms of the agreement, specifically about whether it precluded an armed, militarized version of the aircraft from ever coming to market. That conjecture increased last year when Leonardo Helicopters managing director uh, Jean Piero Cutillo, I don't Bless know. Bless you. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, revealed that the company entered talks with the Italian government on the AW 609, perhaps to develop a para public version of the aircraft. Then in December, uh, the U.S. Army awarded Bell the contract to develop its V 280 tilt prototype. Into the future long range assault aircraft. The V 280 has a maximum cruise speed approaching 300 knots. Wow more than 100 knots faster than attack helicopters such as the current Boeing AH AH-64 Apache or the proposed future attack and reconnaissance aircraft for which Bell and Sikorsky remain in competition. The award led to further speculation about the future military utility of the AW-609, this time as a possible escort aircraft for the V-280. Neither Bell nor Leonardo will publicly comment on the terms of the AW609 deal. However, a variety of governments, including the United Arab Emirates and Malaysia, have expressed interest in the aircraft, uh, believed linked to surveillance, patrol, medevac, or search and rescue configurations. A Bell spokesman contacted by AIN referred comment to Leonardo, which declined to disclose the details of the contract. However, we can share that we see great interest in the AW609 from military users in roles including patrol, search and rescue, and special operations," said a Leonardo spokesperson. Mm. and then it goes on to talk about tilt rotors and history and the v22 osprey
1: they do i'll tell you what actually you say that they do have the look i'm just going to pop the picture back up actually they do have like an osprey look to the configuration don't mm-hmm. they you think if those two end um rotors tilted it would look very much like a like a streamlined osprey um, with with its sort of configuration stuff. It's got a real sort of, um, um, yeah, so it's got a real sort of like helicopter, sort of half, half helicopter, half um, sort of jet feel about it, really. Um, it's uh, an interesting looking aircraft. I mean, it, it, I suspect it's very like nippy, you know very easy to control and um you know sort of ideal for low flying and and things like that really especially if you're doing search and rescue ops it, it seems like an, an an ideal design
3: it does
0: well uh, one of the things i expected you to say matt that was not one of them <laughs> your, your, your knowledge
3: very astute.
0: It's incredible. I
1: know. It's. I know. I don't know. What, I don't know what you've done to me, all. I've got to be honest with you. It was. Uh, I was quite happy with my ignorance, frankly. And then suddenly, it's just like. It's like. It's, it's. I've been intravenously fed information that I'm starting to retain. It's not good. It's. It's really not good.
3: We're really sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your uh, your kind words, but uh, uh-huh. yeah. It's. Uh, it's. But I. I mean. I, and I'm honest to be brutally honest i mean my obsession with the um the osprey is purely because of obviously armando's background and stuff it's a fascinating aircraft so anything Mm -hmm. that's sort of like tick you know ticking the boxes or you know a variant thereof I, i just find is absolutely fascinating um i say the only thing that they could make it more special for me is if it was like it became a mini osprey where it could be a helicopter slash airplane i I just i just love it but as you say it sort of gives that vibe doesn't it where it could be doing low passes and and all that kind of thing and and do low level hovering and stuff like that which if you're looking for people is just ideal it it just seems ideal
3: and if you could have like a miniature version of armando well also We we In all want one of those new to keep. Vehicle.
1: Yeah, we all want yeah. those to keep as our as our, you like know. on the countertop. Or yeah. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. We should start doing three D models of him. Leave it with me, I'll see what I can do. Absolutely. the, the world's
4: not ready for that much cool.
1: Oh yeah, true, Ooh. honestly. I the bless him the, the one thing about Armando is he has no idea how cool he is, does he? That's the, no. that's the exhausting thing about it. It's just like he it's like <laughs> it's just you can make anything
3: cool it's just exhausting do you all have uh, bobblehead dolls and, and you know figures
1: no yeah, yeah i know you what look. you mean i don't know but i think we you should need do an armando one armando bobblehead i agree doll. absolutely leave it with me i've got a friend with a 3d printer i'm i'm so going to make this happen i'm absolutely going to make this happen uh, my modeling skills need some work but uh, uh, the, the friend who has one is into his world of warcraft so he'd be probably quite good at painting it as well so yeah. uh, i'm searching the light I have, I have a project now that I know I'm going to try and nail over this weekend. So, so yeah, absolutely, Upstanding. great idea, great idea. Ah, oh, Nev, what are we doing next?
0: It's the competition next. Oh, exciting! And this week's prize is the book All About Concord, written by Mike Bannister, chief Concord pilot. Um, the um, interesting thing about this as well, it's also available as a audiobook and I've been listening to the audiobook and Mike does a superb job of describing so many things about the aircraft uh, that I didn't even know, uh, both technical and and commercial as well. And of course um, Mike spends a lot of time down at Brooklands with the prototype uh, Concorde and that's one that Jeff and I went on when he was there. Oh wow. Yes,
3: I even have a certificate.
0: You do, yes. (laughs) Um, So that's so that's good. Now, um, we have some answers. We have some correct answers Ooh, to the okay. question. Now, this was a, I, this question I think is fascinating um, because of, of the low number. Um, the question was, how much cargo payload was Concorde able to carry? And we've asked you to uh, give it to us to, to in metric tons. Oh If you wouldn't mind. The answer is only Two and a half metric tons. Wow. Two point five metric tons worth of payload in terms of baggage or whatever they else well, they wanted to carry. Um, and of course, the, the Concourse range was, you know, a little bit limited. It was designed specifically for the the Paris to New York and the London to New York routes, um, and using you know ninety five tons of fuel to do it um, with not a lot of reserve. I have to say, no. Not- No, indeed, Indeed. However, it is time for me to have a delve into my special bag here, where I have all the correct answers. And there were a number of them, actually, quite a lot of them. So I shall choose one. Let's see who the lucky winner is. And it's Alan White, our good friend from the Republic of Ireland. Alan, well done. I shall send you this book tomorrow. I shall go down the post office, although I might wait until Monday, possibly, because the queue in the post office Last Saturday was horrendous. <laughs> was it? Oh, wow! Okay. It was getting Very twitchy and and cross. Um, i bet, Yes. But I did say it was a good to a good,
3: call, good so, course. Good course,
1: obviously. Indeed. down a
0: bit. So
3: indeed. Are 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 people from Ireland uh, actually allowed to participate in this contest? <laughs> oh, anyway. very much
1: so. Anyone Anywhere in the world can. is is more than welcome <sighs> to enter. So absolutely. We even yeah.
3: sent one to Bill over in
0: Canada. Yeah. The week. Oh, good old Canada. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. There, there is there are no uh, no boundaries on. <laughs> no, the well.
1: absolutely yeah. not. If if Royal Mail can say... It then it will leave these shores. Whether they get it or not, is a <laughs> it's a different story altogether. Yeah, you but uh, rough, now Nev, you've got another competition for us. What are we giving
0: away yes, this time? So the, our good chums at uh, Grub Street Publishing uh, have sent me another book uh, last week. Actually, it's called From Spitfires to Vampires and Beyond. Uh, hmm. It's written by Owen Hardy and edited by Air Marshal G. A. Black Robertson, uh, and a fine reader it is as well. Actually, I've been having a bit of a thumb through it this week with some nice illustrations as well. Um, so the question for this week it's related to the Spitfires you might expect. Um, so the question is: the Vickers Supermarine Spitfire. How many different marks of the Spitfire were produced? Ooh. How many different marks of the Spitfire were Ooh, produced? Oh, that's an interesting one. The, the number of aircraft produced, apparently, <laughs> is between 20,300 and 20,400 aircraft. Oh, which wow. is an incredible number, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the question is, how well, many... Jeff's, different? <laughs> Jeff's given his answer. Um. LAUGHTER <laughs>
3: Good. Trust me, that's the right answer. Send it in.
0: <laughs> okay, right. All right. Lovely. No,
3: don't, don't trust me. <laughs> I have no idea.
0: So if you want to take part in the quiz, you have to send an email to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And I shall be uh, putting the correct answers into the hat and drawing out uh, a, uh, a post-it note with somebody's name on next week Indeed. so uh,
1: google is your friend on this one by the way don't think you need to be able yes, to pull it we, out of your don't head don't mind people nope. looking it up not at all absolutely well, It's mean, just it right now, huh? the
0: number of aircraft produced mm. uh, over twenty thousand. absolutely amazing
1: wow i i i feel that that's, that feels like a really big number you know given and mm. yet there's so few that are about, certainly flying you know there's so i mean there are there are some still flying obviously that um um you know like armando and stuff i was only talking to one of the pilots uh, this week wasn't he about um about these things but uh, as you say it's uh, i suppose the nature of the beast is of course a lot were lost during the uh, the activities to which they were involved in sure. for, for want of a better word but uh yeah while we're uh while we're uh talking about email addresses and things nev um what are the social medias and things like that here
0: oh yes mustn't forget those um well uh our, if you look for, for plain talking uk on any of the social media platforms facebook twitter or instagram will be on there the whatsapp number plus 44 757 Our email address, as I just mentioned, is podcast at PlainTalkingUK.com and the website is all the W's, PlainTalkingUK.com You can subscribe to our YouTube channel also and just search for UK. and if you use Amazon, uh, you can use our website to give you a link to Amazon and we get paid a small referral free fee for your shopping. Uh, You can also become a Patreon, of course, uh, or Uh, give us some money by paypal and you can do that by going to www.playingtalkinguk.com and there is a link on there for that very purpose and we're very grateful for all our patreons and paypal members for helping us to keep the show on the road very much so very much so so um
1: let's do a little bit of a round robin then um nev what have you got in your diary for this week
0: oh flying i'm pleased to say Back in the air, um, not very far, going to Belgium on um, Monday, quite early, for a conference I'm doing. I'm actually speaking at it as well. So oh, hello. I hope uh, people don't mind that. Um, <laughs> Do they know? <laughs> well, you know, I'll be there till Thursday. Come right, fair enough. Just, <laughs> just a short 50-minute flight. Oh, that's very all. good.
1: Okay, lovely. A little bit of flying yeah. in your diary then. Much else uh, for the rest of the week, Nev?
0: Uh, No, I should be recovering from the experience, I would imagine. Uh, (laughs) Quite. uh,
4: What's the Belgian beer, I hope, Nev? Well, that that
0: (laughs) could happen, yes. Yes, Uh, our um, European head office is just outside Antwerp as well, so uh, always an opportunity for some nice, cloudy, strong beer. Indeed, indeed.
1: Uh, Nick, what's on your itinerary? I mean, work, obviously, a bit like me, I suppose. Uh, I'm off to sell a kidney to pay for the car repairs. Lovely, OK. So,
4: okay. Uh, well, yeah. that's if anyone's good. <laughs> interested, if they want to drop me an email, that'd be great. <laughs> lovely. Cash uh, donations get... gratefully received. Right,
1: good. OK, <laughs> yeah, uh, contact in the usual ways, podcast app, plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, so that's all sorted. Lovely, lovely, as the Mercedes has got to have a little bit of work done to it then, by the sound of it. so. Yes, indeed, indeed. And, uh, Jeff, uh, obviously you've just come back from a little little bit of a short uh, hop from uh, the uh, south, North Carolina area. Uh, much in the Diary for this week.
3: So I am doing a new way of uh, flying trips and picking up trips, and I, I, I bid a regular month, and then I drop all of my all of my trips, and then I pick up things as I go throughout the month, and I'm loving it. I wish I'd started doing this uh, years ago. And you can only do that if you're a very senior person, which I am, because look at all the gray hair. Um, <laughs> You've and, earned it. Uh, I think so... is the
1: word we're looking for there, Jeff. You've earned the <laughs> right. Let's so I honest. don't know.
3: Really, honestly, between now and uh, the first part of July, when I'm on an airplane heading to uh, over the across uh, the pond and join you all in your wonderful country, um, what I'm doing? But I'll be doing something, you know, just short little hops here and there, and just to, you know, I mean, get some hours. Of- I see. I,
1: I mean, I'm amazed that you you like this way of doing it because one of the things I hate is short notice changes. I mean, does it? is it, is it the like the excitement of not knowing where you're going tomorrow that that is working for you no
3: this is the key to why yeah. i love this so in the past like if you're on reserve and, mm. or on standby or whatever uh, when they call you up and assign uh, a trip uh, you are going to fly that trip no matter where you're going yeah. and no matter how many legs you're going to fly and no no how no matter how bad the weather is now I, because I'm see, I'm the number one captain on this airplane in Atlanta. So I, I just look, I see what trips are available, and if they try to assign one to me, I look and I look at the weather and I go, nah, nah you're not right doing things. that. <laughs> so, it. and I, if it's more than just like one leg out and one leg back, uh, then I go, yeah, nah, no, that's too much. I'm all right. And so I, I just don't do it. Now the downside is that you know I might end up with a month of maybe half. The number of trips that I probably should fly, and that mm. is directly um, related to my uh, my pay, because we're mm. not salaried uh, pilots here. We are hourly pilot, uh, you know, wage earners. So if I don't fly anything, I'm not going to get paid um, wow. anything. So there's a it's a dual-edged sword. But I'm senior enough that I can pick up stuff and still have a you know regular paycheck pretty much. So.
1: Amazing stuff. Now I'm going to ask the question and I'm sure loads of people are asking you this question obviously because we're all um, sort of excited for you, I think, is the, is the best way to describe it. Do yes. you have a date yet for when it's coming to
3: an end? I haven't had a date in uh, many, many years.
1: <laughs> I meant to do with decade. flying. Oh, You're just oh, avoiding flying. the conversation. <laughs> uh, okay, well so played. Here's the, well played.
3: <laughs> here's the deal. Yeah. Um, I don't really know. Okay. I mean, I, I can tell you I, the last possible day that I could possibly fly this year would be Christmas Day. Because wow, okay. my birthday is on the 26th of December and that's when I turn 65 and once you turn 65 here in the US part 121 flying uh, that's it and now there is something and maybe you'll talk about that in your news maybe on the next show I know we're, we're gonna talk about it in our, on our recording tomorrow mm. the what uh, the house there was a House committee that just barely passed a recommendation to increase the age to age 67 and, of course, it still have to, has to be passed by the entire House. And then it goes to the Senate. And so, you know, it's, it's – and the chances of it actually passing, I think, are, are not great. Mm. Um, but it, even if it does, uh, the question everybody's asking – Okay, Jeff, are you going to stay until you turn 67 in another couple of years? And I, my uh, answer is a hearty no. I'm not. <laughs> hell I'm no. To, yeah. Hell no. I'm moving on to my next yeah, uh, life, indeed. Indeed. which is not flying airplanes. So um, mm. doing a book on, yeah, well, you know what? I uh, the, Mark Priestley in your audience mm. uh, asks if I've considered doing a book on my flying career. Uh, that would be epic. Uh, well, I'm not sure it would be epic, but uh, I'm. <laughs> you, you're I'm under. Not really...
1: Sorry, Jeff, you're underselling yourself. I mean, one of the. Uh, we're so lucky to be able to have you, you know, sort of on the show every now and again because I, I, there are stories I know in that head of yours that would just be out of
3: this world. All these stories that that I I, I could tell, they're they're all fascinating to me but i don't know if anybody But you else under
1: would find you that. underestimate how <laughs> fascinating your career is to the rest of yeah. us purely because we are very nosy people that's the yeah. that's the reality of well, it but not,
3: my my career is nothing my history and and experiences are nothing compared to captain nicks uh, you know things that he did especially when he was in the military
1: oh yeah no, uh, no, don't get me wrong we'll deal with that as
3: a separate issue uh yeah, but, okay.
1: so yeah absolutely but
3: to answer your question basically anywhere from now until the end of the year I, i've extended my vacation back mm. into november around the thanksgiving time frame here in the u.s thanksgiving mm. uh november 19th ish uh, but uh i don't know you know that'll probably somewhere in there will probably be my last trip my last mm. flight and honestly i don't want a big thing made of it i don't mm. want people to try to book a flight because they think it's going to be my last flight because i don't really know you know i might just just decide um in september that that's enough i'm not enough yeah. this anymore Absolutely. I'm out of here. Yeah. No, so, I, I completely yeah. get that uh, I, and, or, I do plan on doing some kind of a big party after it's all yeah. over and maybe sometime in 2024 mm-hmm. I have a big party to honour or celebrate my retirement
1: absolutely celebrate because uh well jeff i mean i, I you know i'm i'm really excited for you because you've worked damn hard and you know uh the same as nev you know both of you have worked damn hard your entire lives it's about mm-hmm. time that while you're both fit and healthy that you enjoy you know your hard work Frankly, damn right. I, yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. That's
3: uh, that's all I'm saying. So well, I
0: haven't actually worked that hard. I've, <laughs> I've just got away with it. So many years.
3: Well, yeah, well, we don't want to go into all the details of. No no, no,
0: no, no, quite. Let, I,
3: we're just going to stick with what Matt just said.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Go with my version. It's much more uh, politically correct and PC <laughs> yes. and all that. Uh, but uh, yeah, okay. Nev, I think it's time to sort of wrap up, really.
0: <laughs> oh, but there's just, uh, just one further question Ooh. from Bill. Oh, go on from Canada. Ooh. Jeff, when do you get the new motor?
3: home yes that's another great question uh, to which i wish that i had the answer i ordered this thing in april of 2021 more than two years ago i was supposed to get it 12 to 15 months after that which would have been summer of last year and then they kind of extended it all the way to like april well, of course april has come and gone yeah. we're now in june and the best guess would be sometime october november hopefully hopefully before i retire mm. and uh that's probably the only thing that's really keeping me going in my flying <laughs> career is the fact that I don't have the motorhome yet. No, since kind of you've that got transition.
1: that, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So maybe oh.
3: somebody out there is like purposely uh, delaying it. Yeah. Yeah, you know sports. what it is? They, yeah.
1: they are big fans of APG, at, That's whoever whoever's in keep, charge of it.
3: <laughs> but, I, but I'm going to keep doing it. That's what I'm going to be doing in that mm. darn motorhome. I'm going to be traveling the, the North American continent mm. uh, doing the show. It's going to be my mobile recording studio. Love and I'm going to have meetups everywhere. It's just going to be great to see I the community it. out there.
1: Can't wait! I, I'm on, so, I, genuinely I'm so excited for you, Jeff. I can't I can't even put into words how excited well, I am thanks. for you. Just I appreciate be, that. As I say, like you, you, and, and Nev, I'm I'm sort of so excited for both of you. Like you know that uh, many many people feel sad like when they're reaching the end of it, but you you've both got so much that you want to do. If you like, when you're finally released from these shackles, for want of a better word, yeah. Um, and it's just gonna be it's just gonna be amazing. I think the the podcasting world are gonna be living the dream once it happens i think oh well i can't wait to share it <laughs> absolutely indeed uh nev we should probably wrap up now
0: yeah that's about it for tonight thank you jeff so much for coming on as always Amazing anytime pleasure to uh, hear your stories and to chat with you uh thanks very much indeed nick thanks for joining us last week as well at rf cosfoot i really enjoyed our time there and pleasure.: pressing all the buttons as well as usual always a pleasure uh, this week brilliant Um, so that's about it for this week so we'll be back same time next week at seven o'clock uk time hopefully you can join us then meanwhile hope you have a great weekend bye for now